the Kurdish region in Iraq is running out of water. A report from the Iraqi federal government says the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers will be dry by the year 2040. A lack of water is one of the most critical crises facing this region. So why then all of these golf courses and lakefront housing projects? Many are saying, crying, look around and see. Look around. I mean, many other things are lacking around here as well, right? NGO funding is drying up. Jobs are hard to find. Social and economic instability, lasting peace is limited. In a word, perhaps maybe the most lacking thing may be hope in Iraq. But in the midst of darkness, the light shines brightest. When all seems hopeless, God's message of eternal peace brings a sure hope and even a present real experience in that hope. So look around, church, and be amazed at the peace and hope that come in Christ. If we titled this message, that would be it. Look around and be amazed. Friends, my name is David Lawrence, the lead pastor here at EBC. And recently we began a look at the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis in the Bible. In Genesis 12, God had commanded Abram, go from your family to the land that I will show you. And he promised, I will bless you. Abram went. And God promised again to your offspring, your children, I will give this land. God promised. But life is still hard for Abram. I mean, at 75 years old, Abram still does not have children. And that promised land is already populated. And it recently went into famine. You know, Abram's blessed life now feels anything but blessed. Through his journey, you see Abram's faith is tested and tried. Coming back from Egypt and that trial of fear that we saw last week in chapter 12, Abram and, and his nephew Lot are now surrounded by sheep and cattle and camels and servants and silver and gold. And you'd, you'd think that this overflowing of blessing would bring happiness to everyone around. But it doesn't. It doesn't. All these possessions actually lead to the next trial, a trial in conflict. Abram must trust God, even though he can't see the end. What, it's, what is this going to be? The challenge to Abraham, and, and perhaps to us, is to trust in the Lord's promises, 
even when circumstances make them difficult to see. That's the main point today. Trust in the Lord's promises, even though circumstances make them, those promises, hard to see right now. We'll walk through this passage in three sections. Uh, The land that's unable to support. Then secondly, look and see. And then lastly, offspring that are unable to be counted. Now, in chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, Abram's come back from Egypt, as we saw. He's a rich man. He's got many possessions. And in verse 5, it says that Lot is moving about with him. Lot's been with him from the beginning, from Ur of the Chaldeans all the way up to Haran, down into Canaan, all the way down to Egypt and back again. And then in verse (laughs) 6, that's where we see the storm clouds of conflict gathering on the horizon. There it says, but the land could not support them while they stayed together. So our first section presents the main tension of this passage, the land that's unable to support. And why? Why can the land not support them? Well, it continues. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The land was unable to support just the two of them. It's only two. How's that great nation that God promised supposed to live in this land that God has promised them? They, they're already having you know, sheep traffic jams and, and cattle accidents. It, it, it's like, hey, watch out. Look out. I mean, the land for grazing all these great possessions that they have of animals, it was becoming a problem. The land could not support them while they stayed together. And not only that, not only the, just the two of them, at the end of, of verse 7, do you see there, we're told that others are living in the land. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Okay, so there's these, their great blessings had become this source of great conflict. The herdsmen were fighting complaining and quarreling with one another about land and water usage. So, verse 8, Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Remember now, Lot was Abram's nephew, the, the son of Abram's brother Haran. And like we said, he'd been with Abram from the very beginning. And and consider the fact that Abram has no children. What does that mean? Well, it means that Lot is the heir of, of Abram. If Abram dies, Lot gets it all. But 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 here's this conflict that's happening between them now. You know, they're supposed to be close relatives, but conflict happens between the family. 
And conflict is never easy. It kind of makes sense that conflict happens in our families. I mean, we're all sinners, you see. So, so when we sin, when, when I sin, when you sin, who are you going to sin against the most? The people that are right around you. That's who you're going to sin against. That's who's going to sin against you. Well, verse 9, Abram does something quite unexpected. He humbly opens the whole land that was promised to him, and he gives Lot first choice. Look what it says there. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. That's amazing coming from Abram. I mean, Abram is the older. He's the honored one. God made those promises to him, not to Lot. But Abram, you see, puts Lot's interests before his own. We just sang about that. This act of humility is the very mindset of Christ. Long before Christ even came. If you look in, in Philippians, you'll see what I'm talking about. In Philippians chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 3, he says, In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, friends, humility like Abram's, humility like Christ, it's our call as Christians. If you are a Christian, this is your call to be humble, to put others first. Conflict is actually how this call to humility is brought to the surface in your life. Are you having any conflict? God is calling you to humility. Because as you know, it's so easy to quarrel. The reason for conflict, when you're going through that, your, your reason for being in that conflict may seem mountainous. It may seem like huge mountains to you. But oftentimes, oftentimes they're just little anthills, you know? It's just a little thing, but we make it huge. We blow up those little anthills into huge mountains in our own mentality. Friends, you may have quarrels going on right now. Maybe within your family, maybe within this family, in the church. I want to call you now to faith. I want to call you to have faith, to believe. Believe that restoration and reconciliation are possible. I know sometimes you feel like it's not possible. It'll never happen. Reconciliation is possible because 
Christ died so that it could be possible. Conflict is natural. It's, it's, it's a result of our sinful nature. Conflict is, I guarantee you, you'll be in conflict at some point if you're not in it now. Resolving conflict is not natural. Resolving conflict is not natural. Our, our culture, you see, our very humanity is bent against conflict resolution. Therefore, we must teach it. We must learn how to resolve conflicts. And what do we see from Abram? What do we, what do we learn from Abram here? Well, what we see with Abram is that true resolution must, one, identify the problem. He, he recognized that the issue was the land could not support them. He says, let's not have quarreling between you and me. So the second thing is he takes responsibility. He begins the conversation. He doesn't wait for something else to happen. He begins the conversation, and then he provides a solution. The whole land's before you. Let's part company. You go this way, I'll go that way. Abram saw the problem, that the land couldn't support them. He took responsibility, initiating that conversation, and he offered the solution that would keep them in relationship even though physically they are parting company. Church, I, I want to call us to be quick to resolve conflicts because as God's children, we are the, to reflect his image through our love for one another. That's, that's who we are as God's children. So when you allow conflict to continue and not be resolved, you're distorting Christ's image. Do you see that? If you've received God's grace, then give God's grace to others. When you understand, you can do this, because when you understand the multitude of your own sins, and that Christ has forgiven you, then you can forgive your brother or your sister when they sin against you. Yes, friends, it is possible. Jesus humbled himself for you so that you could live in peace with God. And we can also live in peace with one another. Abram humbled himself so that he might have peace with Lot. So when we humble ourselves for the sake of peace within the church, God himself is glorified. This call to humble peacemaking comes with promises. We, 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 we see them in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, for instance, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. He says later, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Friends, that's who we are. And that's what we do when we are God's children. So Abram gives Lot's first choice, right? Let's look at how Abram's solution works out in our second section. Uh, 
in, in verses 10 to 14, twice it says, look around and see. That's our second point. We're looking at uh, verse 10 and 11 right now. <laughs> Listen, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So Lot looked around and he, he saw that the grass really was greener on the other side. Really. The land wasn't suffering from, from a lack or, or scarcity. It wasn't in famine. It was well watered. Seems like the better part of the land. And so Lot chooses that. But why does Moses, the author of Genesis, why does he put those two locations there? The Garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt. I think he does that to stir up our imagination concerning Lot's choice. The, the first location, let's look at that. The Garden of the Lord. The, the the Garden of Eden is what he's talking about. It's described as abundant, as flourishing under the care of Adam until he and Eve looked at one tree and saw that its fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. And they took it. And they ate it. And that was the first sin of disobedience. Well, then Moses says about that. or Well, at first, look there in, in, in verse 11. He says that, that Lot set out toward the east. You know, out of the Garden of Eden, when, when that sin happened, that was the direction that Adam and Eve went eastward, eastward, away from the presence of the Lord. And then right after that, their child, Cain, kills his brother Abel, and he went out from the Lord's presence east of Eden. And in Genesis 10, it says that when the people continued to move eastward, away from the presence of the Lord, that's where they built the Tower of Babel. You see, in Genesis, going east is a symbol of going further and further away from God's presence into sin. Moses is hinting to the fact that Lot's choice is taking him closer to sin. And it had become so bad... In this little hint there that, that he says this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That it's going to get even worse later. Now the second location is the land of Egypt. Now Moses has been writing this book, Genesis, to a particular people. To the people of Israel. Those who had come out of Egypt in the Exodus. And so they are listening to Genesis with special, they're, they're, they're listening for things like this. They can understand 
as God's chosen people, as his first audience, that the land of Egypt was a sign of slavery and sin. They remember their parents and their grandparents quarreling with Moses, for instance, about not having water, a lack of water, a a scarcity there. In, In chapter 17, it says, there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? You see, for those that were quarreling in the wilderness, slavery in Egypt looked better than freedom in the wilderness. Friends, listen to what Moses is is saying here. He's saying that the grass isn't always, uh, that, sorry, it's not always better on the other side. It's not, whatever is greener is not better. What looks good isn't always good for you. What catches your eye may just capture your heart and lead to destruction. Lot looked, he chose, he set out, and then he pitched his tents among the cities on the plain near Sodom, near a wicked people who were sinning greatly against the Lord, people whom the Lord will soon destroy. You know, temptation's kind of like that. It begins with a look. See, temptation, it begins with a look. And then, it, and then a choice. I'm going to do that, or I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow this, I'm not going to follow this. And then a plan. And then finally an action. James 1 describes it as desire being conceived, giving birth to sin, and then sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. Friends, the closer you are to sin and the world that loves sin, the more likely you are to become just like them. The closer you are to sin and the world that loves sin, the more likely you are to become just like them. 1 John says this, Chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So friends... Take that perspective. Take, take that perspective that the world is passing away. It's passing away. It's not going to last. And then you can look around and see better things for you in the love of God and in doing the will of God.
Well, Lot leaves. And Abram's just left standing there as we come to verses 14 and 15. And, and the, now that's where the Lord tells Abram to look around and see. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. You know, Lot, Lot looked only eastward to what was temporary. But the Lord, the Lord tells Abram, to look in every direction, the north, the south, the east, the west, as far as he can see, limitless. God's promise isn't just for then. Did you, did you see that last word? It's for forever. It's to infinity and beyond. But nothing's changed for Abram. You know, he's, he's right there. He's still in the same place. He hasn't moved. He's just watching Lot move with his herds down into the plains to the greener pastures. It's still hard for Abram. Though at least now there's peace in that the quarreling has ceased. Right? You know, I'm kind of reminded of Psalm 37, where it says there, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret. That means do not worry when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Sometimes, believer, you know, it's so easy just to, to see what's right in front of your eyes. It's so easy to get upset when you see others are gaining through dishonesty or evil or through their own cunning. But don't fret, friends. Don't worry. Trust the Lord, to work out what you cannot see right now. Abram had nothing but a promise from the Lord to hold on to. That's, that's all he had. Up to this point, you know, he, he did not own a single centimeter in the promised land. Not one. And he still had no offspring of his own. He had a promise. And the Lord now is going to take that promise and expand it far beyond whatever he said back in chapter 12. Let's, let's consider that now in the third section, offspring unable to be counted. Because as before, the Lord's word to Abraham, as be, this promise as before, it includes both command and promise. His first command to Abram here in, 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 in chapter 13 is simply look around from where you are. Abram doesn't even need to move. Just look around. The, the action 
that's in, in this, this promise and command, it's the Lord's. The Lord says, I will give. I will make your offspring numerous. God's the one who's going to act. Note, however, the, how the promise expands. So remember back in chapter 12, verse 7, you know, he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So it's gone from this land, back in 12.7, now the Lord says, all the land that you see, to the north and the south and the east and the west, everything you see. It's gone from your offspring, back in chapter 12, verse 7, to now the Lord says, I will, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. From no time, mentioned back in chapter 12, verse 7, now this promise is forever. I mean, think about what he's saying here. The dust of the earth? Can you count the dust of the earth? I mean, he even says, if the dust of the earth could be counted, then your offspring could be counted. You can't count the dust of the earth. Just think about that for a moment. In the book of Numbers, Moses counts the people who came out of the Exodus. Now, assuming an equal number of women as men and you know, add in some for children, many people have estimated between one and two million people were exiting out of Egypt. For comparison, in 2021, the population of the Kurdish region of Iraq was 5.5 million, more than double. That same year, 2021, China, the most populous country in the world, had 1.4 billion people, but it's still not the dust of the earth. It's still not the dust of the earth. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, there was this quarrel that arose because the land couldn't support two people. Two people. Abram and Lot. Now the Lord is promising Abram offspring that can't be counted. As many as the dust of the earth. What land could ever support that number of offspring? How many generations will it take to, to see such offspring well, it's, it's that the Lord is looking far down the road isn't he the fulfillment of this promise must be farther down into the future than Abram's own lifetime and when we start to get this sense that the Lord's promise to Abram is not just for ethnic Israel in fact it's much greater than that because Abram will become the father of all who have faith. That is, all who believe in Jesus. As we saw back in Romans chapter 4 when we were looking at that. You see, the Bible describes a quarrel that's much greater than what Abram and Lot were quarreling about. And you are in that quarrel. That quarrel is between you and God. 
You see, it's a quarrel our forefather Adam began when he doubted and disobeyed God's clear command. His sin opened the eyes of humanity to see what now can never be unseen. As a result, we are now by nature slaves to sin and objects of God's just wrath. Adam, or sorry, Abram, now becomes a model of the faith and obedience that God desires from those whom he calls. Faith means first trusting God's word. Doubting God's word was Adam and Eve's first problem. You see, doubting leads, it led them and it leads us to disobeying. Faith, on the other hand, is trusting and obeying God's word. And that's the first step that a person needs to take to restore a relationship with their creator. The second step is believing what God has done to pay that penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, the Bible says, is death. And in order for that to be paid, a sinless substitute had to be sacrificed to pay that penalty of death for your sin. Abram had been making sacrifices on the altars that he built, but he had to look forward to a perfect sacrifice. Moses was shown more about those kind of sacrifices, but still they had to look forward to a perfect once and for all sacrifice. And at just the right time, Jesus came. He was the fullness of God in human flesh. And he offers himself perfectly as the perfect substitute in the sacrifice on the cross. Hebrews 9.15 says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. You know, because Jesus never sinned, when he died on the, on the cross, death could not hold him. And he rose up from the grave. Jesus paid the debt of our sin and conquered death so that all who believe in him might have eternal life through him. Now, this salvation is not given to everyone, every person on the planet, but it's to those who believe in him, who receive his grace through faith, through believing. So, friend, trust in his word. And obey him. And you will belong to him and receive his promise. Every day, people from all over the world, all over the nations, are turning to the Lord through faith in Christ. And you can do that too, even today. So stop looking eastward, friends. Like Lot. Stop, stop moving towards the temporary things of this world Start looking to Jesus' death and resurrection and accept God's new covenant and you will, be, you will belong to him, adopted into his family. Galatians 3, 29 uh, says it this way in the, in the New Living Translation. It says it very clearly. It says, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children 
of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you if you believe in Christ. You know, sin began with a look, and it ends in destruction. So also, trusting in the Lord's promise begins with a look. Look to Jesus, and it ends in worship. Revelation 7, or 9 and 10 gives us uh, this amazing look into uh, that final fulfillment of the Lord's promise to Abraham. It says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. That Lamb is Jesus. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. It's worship. After the Lord expands his promise, he commands Abram then to do something, to move. He says there in verse 17, he says, Go, go, walk the, through the land, the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Friends, this command is related to that first command of looking around. Abraham, in Abraham's walking, he is exploring and seeing all the land that the Lord has promised. Friends, he invites us who believe now to something similar. Except this new promise is more than just dirt. It's the kingdom of God. The Lord says to you, child of God, Go, explore the length and the breadth of the kingdom of God. All the Lord's promises that are fulfilled in Christ. As, as 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Oh church, I know that many of you are facing trials of many different kinds. Many things that challenge and test your faith. But friends, I'm saying trust in the Lord's promises, even though your circumstances make them difficult to see right now. As we sang earlier, church, explore the length and the breadth of the love of Jesus and the kingdom of God that he promises. Look around and be amazed. And some of you have started reading through the Bible from the beginning of this year. Uh, I, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up. I know sometimes you hit a roadblock, you've missed some weeks. Don't give up. Get back into the Word. His promises are found here. This is where you see them. Every day you can look around and see His promises fulfilled in Christ. Surround yourself also with people who are speaking of these promises. As mentioned before, you know, the closer you are to sin and the people, the world that loves sin, the more likely you are to become like them. Well, conversely, or on the other side, the closer you are to Christ and those who love Christ, 
the more likely you are to become like him. Like him. Friends, Abram had faith. As Hebrews 11 says, he saw God's promises and he welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that he was a stranger and foreigner on the earth, indeed, he was looking for a better country, a heavenly one. In Christ, we too are his offspring, Abram's offspring, by faith. And we welcome the final fulfillment of these promises from a distance. From a distance. But in Christ, we have been given a better view into that land of promise, the kingdom of God and of Christ. In his kingdom, there is no lack. There, in his kingdom, there is no tear. There is no fear. There is no war. There is no reason to quarrel in his kingdom. In his kingdom, there is an abundance. There is righteousness, peace, and joy. In his kingdom, there is a promise that you can put all your hope in. For in that inheritance, it is that inheritance that has been given to you who believe in Christ. So church, trust in the Lord's promises, even though your circumstances may make them difficult to see. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, as I think about the many trials and tests that many here are going through, many hard things, many very difficult things, even conflicts, fighting that is happening between children of God. Lord, I pray that we would trust in your promises, even though our circumstances make those promises so hard to see right now. Lord, pray that you would help us to walk through the length and the breadth of these promises, to see them in Christ and to rejoice in him and to worship. For he has brought them all to fulfillment. They are all yes and amen through Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.